This is Way Family Church, and you're listening to our sermon podcast. We invite you to join us in person every Sunday morning at 1030. We meet at Lawford Middle School in Tucson, Arizona. For more information about who we are, upcoming events, or if you'd like to connect, visit us online at www.wayfamily.church. Now get your Bibles ready, and let's begin. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 4. You forgot we were in Matthew, didn't you? Matthew chapter 4. We're going to look at verse 1 through 11. You can follow along in your Bibles if you brought it today. If not, your sermon notes should have the passage written on them. Or you can follow with the screens. But let's read this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The temptation of Jesus. It says this. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against the stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. Lord, thank you so much for this portion, specifically, Lord Jesus, that you have recorded for us to see, for us to learn from, for us to be instructed by, Lord Jesus. We ask that you would speak today to our hearts, our minds, that we may be not only hearers of the word, but doers as well. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen. The temptation. This is so good for us. You know, to be Christian is to be like Christ, amen? And to be like Christ, we must know what Christ is like. Think about that. To be Christian, we must be like Christ. And to be like Christ, we must know what he's like. So if we don't know who Jesus is, how can we be like him? If we're not constantly studying his life, how can we imitate it? And so what we have here is a very important portion of scripture, of scripture that actually helps us in our walk with Jesus, in our Christian walk, and a walk that glorifies the Lord, because the fact of the matter is that we all face temptation. In fact, you might be surprised by this, but some of you might be, tempting, be, might be tempted for something right now. We're all constantly dealing with the issue of temptation. 
We see the life of Jesus as he walked it on this earth is a perfect example of holiness. It's a perfect example of righteous living and triumph through temptations would lead to sin because temptations, when we give in to them, that's how we fall into sin. So if you don't know how to deal with temptation, we're going to be constantly falling and tripping up into sin. And so sometimes we get to this place where we wonder, why do I keep doing what I do? Why am I not growing? Why am I not changing? Well, you're not dealing with the temptations that lead you to that sin. That's the problem. So what do we need to do? We need to study the life of Jesus. We need to really consider this account that we have here and grow from it, learn from it, and grow from it. Now, last month, we looked into the baptism of Jesus. Can you believe it's been a month now? To me, it's so fresh. That's the last thing I left off with, you know? Last month, we looked into the, the, the baptism of Jesus, and it was an interesting event. Actually, I felt like it warranted a few questions. One of them was, why? Why did Jesus get baptized in the first place? It made no sense. After all, John's baptism was one of water, and it was for repentance of sin. So then why did Jesus have to go and get baptized, right? Jesus, being sinless, being without need of baptism. He goes and he confuses John. We saw that. John's response was like, hold on a second. He sa- it says, the Bible says, he would have prevented him saying, I need to be baptized by you and you come to me? There's a little bit of confusion here. Why, why would you come to me? You're, you're of no need of repentance. You're of no need of baptism. And yet Jesus says to him, do it for it is fitting to fulfill all righteousness. And then we talked about how, you know, John consented, and for us it was just not enough. Like, okay, that's a good answer, but what does that mean? But then we looked through this passage, and we see that through Jesus' baptism, he identifies with sinners. And it's so good and so important for us to understand that Jesus identifies with you and I. He knows what it's like to be you. He knows what it's like to be me. He knows what it's like to be human. Also through his baptism, he set an example for the saints. So he didn't just do it to do it. If we have an example now, we must follow it, which is why it's so important for us to walk through according to the will and the way of the Lord. It is his will for us to come to repentance, be baptized, and walk according to his way. And he also demonstrated through his baptism a beautiful picture of salvation, which is essentially death to sin, death to sin risen to new life in Jesus Christ. Wow, now it makes sense, we saw, and the Lord Almighty is glorified by this. We hear the voice of God, the triune God is present in this place. The Holy Spirit rests on him as a dove. And then you hear a voice from heaven that says, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. Glory to God in the highest, amen. And so this was, we can say, coronation day is what we titled that that sermon. The Lord's confirmation and his official starting line to his earthly ministry. Now, at that point, I would like to think that the next step would be to go to either IHOP, Chili's, or Texas Roadhouse and celebrate that moment. I don't know what your favorite restaurant is, but after baptism, that's a moment to celebrate, don't you think? That's a moment to go and just be with friends and family and say, this is the new life that the Lord gave me, and I will rejoice, rejoice and be glad in it. I'm going to celebrate with a nice big steak or fish tacos. Why not? You know? However, this is not what happened in Jesus' case. The official starting line of his ministry goes, and instead of a celebration of some kind of celebratory moment, 
The Bible tells us that he is immediately after this baptism led into the wilderness by the Spirit to be tempted by the devil. What? Again, more questions. It's crazy. Anytime you read the Bible, more questions, right? We want to learn. We want to grow. The question is, why? Why was Jesus led to be tempted after his baptism? Why was Jesus tempted in the first place? Could it also be that this moment was very much like his baptism, in that by this he would also fulfill all righteousness? Absolutely. The answer to the question as to why Jesus was tempted is the same answer as to why he was baptized, to fulfill all righteousness. And so let me take you back in time a little bit here Job, you are familiar with Job. He's a man who knows suffering. He knew suffering. You know his story, right? Satan comes and attacks him. And he's permitted by the Lord to do this. He takes his body, essentially, and the only thing he's got left is life, but his, his body is miserable. He's, he's just dealing with a lot of pain and a lot of suffering, a lot of trial. His family, broken, gone. These are circumstances that are just unbelievable, unimaginable. Unless you've been there, you don't know what it's like. And here's Job, and he's, he's pleading with the Lord, and he says something very interesting in Job chapter 9, verse 33. He says, God, there is, not, there is no arbiter between us who may lay his hand on us both. What is he saying here? He's saying, God, there's no one, there's no mediator between you and I. There's no one who actually understands and gets your holiness there's no one who knows what it's like to be you and to be holy and righteous in all ways, to not complain, to look ahead into your glory. I don't get that because I'm a person. I don't get that. And at the same time, there's no one who gets me. You're God. You're not in the flesh. You don't understand what this is like, do you? There's no mediator. There's no bridge. There's a chasm between you and I. This is Job's plea is we need an arbiter. We need a mediator. Well, let's fast forward now. 1 Timothy 2.5 tells us, clear as day, for there is one God and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. So now there is. So Job's plea is fulfilled by the arrival of Jesus. Now there is a mediator between a God and man, and this mediator is able, is what Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 tells us, he's able to sympathize with our weaknesses, but who in every respect, had been tempted as we are, yet without sin. And so this mediator gets it. He knows what it's like to be God, and he knows what it's like to be human. And in every respect, he was tempted the way that we were, and yet he did not sin. Wow. In other words, we can say, he gets us. Jesus understands what it's like to be human. Jesus understands what it's like to be God. And because of this, we can no longer say things just like, you know what? You know what, God? You don't know what it's like to be me. Because I think often in our hearts we say that. Say, God, are you kidding me? You don't get it, do you? Because you, you, you see my need and you're not responding to it. We can't say that because the fact of the matter is that, yeah, yeah, he does. He gets it. He understands what it's like to be us. So I have more questions now. The next questions that come up is, did, did, did Jesus just be, get tempted with God? Like, did God just lead Jesus to temptation where God tempted Jesus? Does God tempt us? Have you ever wondered that? 
Does the Lord tempt us after all? I just read in chapter 4, verse 1, that Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Well, the clear answer is no. It wasn't God. It was the devil. The Spirit allowed Jesus to go and to be tempted, but it was the devil himself who tempted Jesus. James 1.13 says this, and let's have this in mind and in heart. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. Why? For God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. There's nothing that God can be tempted for, for he owns all things, and all things have been made through him and for him. There's nothing that will lure him into temptation. Do you see that? And that at the same time, he himself does not tempt anybody. Now again, although the Spirit did lead Jesus to this moment, it was the devil who tempted him. He is the tempter. That's one of his titles. Let me say this to you, though. This is important. These temptations that Jesus faced, these were diabolical attempts to overthrow God's plan for human redemption. Same way, any time you are tempted with something, it is a diabolical plan for you to be persuaded against the will of God and into sin, which severs your relationship with God. doesn't mean that you lose salvation when you fall into sin. It means you sever that relationship, and it requires repentance, and it requires restoration and growth. But these temptations, again, are diabolical attempts to, to overthrow the will of God, God's plan. In this case, God's plan for human redemption that was through Jesus. If Jesus fell into temptation, he would have fallen into sin. He would have fallen into disobedience, and thus it would have disqualified him as Savior. Jesus would not otherwise be who we know him to be today if he would have fallen to temptation. So this leads me to the next question. Could Jesus have sinned? What do you think? Who says yes? Who says no? Who doesn't know? Okay, some of you guys are not even listening today. <clears throat> Could Jesus have sinned? I think that the answer is no and yes, actually. Both of them. Confusing? I think so. Well, let's consider these truths and kind of clear it up. One, Jesus is fully God. Amen. Jesus is God incarnate. We've already seen this through Matthew, that this is Emmanuel, God with us. And in fact, if you look at John, the beginning of the Gospel of John, it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And all things were made through him, and nothing that was made has been made without him. And so what we see here is that Jesus is deity. He is part of the Godhead, three in one, Son, right? Jesus is God. He is fully God. That's established. And then we just read in James chapter 1, verse 13, that, get, that God cannot be tempted by evil. And so that's the answer for no. Jesus could not have been tempted. Therefore, you know, we can say, Jesus is God. There's no way he could have been tempted. However, there's the other side of this. We call this the hypostatic union. Meaning that Jesus, yes, he is fully God, but he is also fully man. Wait, what? Well, that changes things, doesn't it? Jesus is also fully man, which means he's human as you and I are human. He understands what it's like to be us. He knows the feeling of temptation, of desire, and of the necessities that the body has. Remember, Hebrews 4.15 read also that he was tempted as we are. And so that means that, yes, 
he was also tempted. Interesting, kind of paradoxical if you ask me. Jesus could have sinned in the sense that he was physically capable of it. He was physically capable of making or turning these stones into bread. He was physically capable of jumping off that tower. He was physically capable of bowing to Satan. He was actually capable of that. And, and consider this, the Bible says he was tempted, so those things were actually intriguing to him. He actually thought about following through with these things, and there's a reason for that. And I think as you read this and how Jesus was tempted, I feel like maybe you would be like me and you would have thought, wait a minute, I'm not tempted in that way. What do you mean he's been tempted in every sense that we have been? I have never been tempted in those respects, I would say. I don't necessarily crave bread. If Satan came to me and he tempted me with bread, I feel like I would pass that with flying colors, you know? Unless maybe it was one of these loaves that Corey makes, these sourdough loaves, and I'm really hungry, maybe I'd be tempted to buy. But honestly, that's not that big of a temptation to me. I don't know if that actually matches what I feel or what I experience. And I certainly don't feel the need to throw myself off of a tower, I'm not tempted to do that personally, you know, and, and, and I don't necessarily feel the sense to test the Lord or to see whether or not he will catch me and if he actually exists in that way. I'm not going to do that. I tried that when I was a kid. I put that Superman cape on and, and jumped from bed to bed. It doesn't work, you know, so I'm not tempted to do that. And I certainly, me personally, don't want to rule other wor- worlds. I don't want to own other nations. Ill. talk about culture shock. You know what I mean? So I'm personally not tempted in that regard. So what does it mean that he has in every respect been tempted as we are, yet without sin? So this is what I want to consider. But here's the thing that's important for us to know. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Consider this. It says this. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. No temptation has ever overtaken you that is not common In other words, all temptations, every single one of them, are common. Samo, samo. The things that tempt you are essentially the things that I'm tempted by as well. And you and you and you, they're all the same. They're all the same, however, different circumstances, right? Those change. Those are very personalized to us as the individual. But look at verse 2. That was only verse 1, by the way. This is going to be a long day, isn't it? It says this, And after fasting 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. That makes sense, doesn't it? This means, first, let's consider this. Jesus was focusing intently in prayer. He was focusing intently in that wilderness. He wasn't lost. He wasn't lollygagging. He wasn't just shooting the breeze and wasting time. Jesus was fasting. That means he was in communion with the Lord. And so let's consider that. However, after 40 days and 40 nights, that's just about the longest a person can go without eating, without having any permanent bodily harm. And so I think it's safe to say that Jesus was starving at this point, right? Bread would sound really good in this situation. These are the circumstances that he finds himself. Not only is he starving at this point, but he's also by himself. There's no one around him. There's no one to comfort him, to aid him. I don't know if you've seen that show, Alone. You know, it's a, it's a, it's some, there's something about being alone. You know, I've known people who have fasted 40 days, like my father-in-law has done that several times. Man, it changes you. 
it does something to you. But to have to also be alone in that situation, I don't know anybody who's ever experienced that. And so here's the circumstance that Jesus is in. In fact, I'm going to say this is Jesus's chapter 4, verse 2. Follow? This is his circumstance, his chapter 4, verse 2. What would your chapter 4, verse 2 look like? What are the circumstances that are surrounding you that you're currently in the midst of that probably would set you up for a temptation? This is his. What would it read? Could it be something like this? And and hear me out. Just throwing some examples out. I'm not picking on anybody, okay? But could it be that your chapter 4, verse 2, would read something like, and after 10 years of marital, marital difficulty, he or she was interested in a new partner? Hmm. Could it be, and after walking in purity her whole life, being pressured by society, she contemplated compromise? Could chapter 4, verse 2 in your life be something like, and after working honestly and diligently with little to show for, he considered laundering to get ahead? Or, and after being given a promotion, he felt too busy for his wife and his children, work looked more important. What is your chapter 4, verse 2? What is your circumstance? What is your setup for temptation? This is important for us to consider. Temptation comes in three forms, though, and this is going to be helpful for us to know. We have to understand what tempts us. We realize that those things that tempt us will fall into one of these three categories. It's either self-gratification, self-protection, or self-exaltation. It's one of those three. Self-gratification, self-protection, or self-exaltation. So let's go back to that question. What tempts you? Interactive church. Mila, what's tempting to you? Hmm. Sugar? Is that sugar you have there? (gasps) Self-gratification. Okay. What tempts you, Elton? Potluck? Mm. I would say also self-gratification, perhaps. Right? What else tempts you? What tempts you? Maybe it's that new perfume line from Ariana Grande, right? Ooh, self-exaltation. You see that? You've not been tempted by that, brother? Not by the perfume. Okay. Maybe you're tempted to have that better, greater engine for that truck or whatever it may be. Why? Because you don't want to break down the middle of the road? Hmm. Maybe I should spend my life savings to be able to get that? Hmm. Self-protection. So everything that we are tempted by will fall in one of those three categories. Self-gratification, self-protection, self-exaltation. It's that simple, yet so complex. So let's look at that first one. The temptation for self-gratification. Ooh, that kind of rhymes. The temptation for self-gratification. Look at verse 3. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. There's a temptation. Huh. This is actually a really big deal. This is a big deal for Jesus. This is a big deal for us to actually consider what's going on here because the devil is being strategic. The devil doesn't come out of the blue like you would think, aimless and with nonsense necessarily, although sometimes it seems like it. He's being very strategic. He's been studying your circumstance. You've heard the term, the devil's in the details, right? He's looking into how he can get to you. He's being intentional about how to reach you to sin. And so the challenge here is that he is challenging Jesus when it comes to his relationship with the Father. 
He's essentially saying, are you really the son of God? Are you really who you say you are? Does he actually have that kind of relationship with you? So that's important for us to consider is sometimes we're going to be attacked in that way. You know, he's essentially trying to point out that the father's withholding goods for him. If he's your father, why are you in this place of starvation? Aren't you in fellowship with him? Aren't you communion with him, in communion with him right now? Is he withholding goods from you? And here's the temptation, though. This is where it gets ugly. Therefore, why don't you take matters into your own hands? If you're the son of God, and if God is your father, and he's not taking care of you, deal with it. Do what you need to do. Why don't you quit trusting him? You have the power, don't you? Aren't you Jesus, the son of the triune God? Don't you have the ability to turn these stones into loaves of bread? Yeah, I do. No one's watching. You're all alone. Why don't you do it? You're hungry, aren't you? If you really are who you are, show it. Ooh, bread does really sound good, doesn't it? After 40 years, or 40 years, 40 days, 40 nights, bread, I imagine, sounds really good. He is without food. This, my goodness, after, I don't know if you've ever baked bread at the home. Sandy bakes bread sometimes. Mm, that sounds really good. Now, here's what's going on. Satan is essentially presenting an opportunity that would satisfy Jesus' desires immediately. And so that's the problem with temptation is it offers a solution immediately. It actually takes away our ability to be patient with the Lord, to trust him. And so it forces us to do something in the now. We live in the day of the now. Everything is just so speedily. And so it's easy to fall into temptation after temptation after temptation because we're not even realizing that we're being tempted after a while. This temptation is a very super sneaky one, if you would consider, because you would think that it wouldn't even be wrong to eat bread, you know? Like, it's not wrong to eat bread, so why was this a problem? You know, yesterday, um, Emily came over and she made these wonderful-looking fish tacos. I haven't had fish in a while because my wife doesn't like fish, okay? <laughs> you know how that goes? If your wife doesn't like something, she doesn't cook it until you don't eat it? Yeah. So... She comes over and she makes fish tacos and they look delicious. I don't, she, they look beautiful, like they're out of a magazine. And you know how when you sit on the table, at least my family does, we sit, we pray for our food, and then we eat. Now, it wasn't wrong for me to have these fish tacos, but I tell you what, I was sitting at the table, Emily was right there next to me, and I was tempted to just go for it. I did not want to wait for anybody, you know? Now, would it be wrong for me to have those tacos? No. But why would it be wrong for me to have it then and there without being patient and waiting? See how it changes the circumstance? And so I had to wait. And then my wife comes. She's like, okay, let's pray. Forget everyone else who's missing. <laughs> and so we pray, and we start eating. At that point, it was good for us to have the food, right? But the temptation is not necessarily that it's wrong to do a certain thing, but the timing is key. The circumstances are very important for us to consider. You know, Satan, in this case, Jesus was sowing doubt in, in, in Jesus. This is, what, this is what he's trying to do with Jesus. He was trying to corrupt his heart by thinking that God's way isn't necessary, that our way is just as good or better because he's withholding something from you. That's what temptation does. It makes you believe that God isn't watching out for you, that he's withholding something from you. Look at verse 4, but Jesus answered, it is written, 
Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Amen. And we think, wow, what a good answer, don't we? Have you ever wondered why this is such a good answer? Anybody? Does anybody know what he's quoting here? Have you looked into this yourself? If not, I have to show it to you because this is kind of a big deal. The way that Jesus answers is so perfect. And the passage that he picks is so in context. He knows exactly what he's saying. You know, he knows exactly the temptation and the circumstance here. This is his divinity that's showing right now. And look at this. He's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 8, 1 through 3. That's where Jesus is is quoting from. And he clearly understands this passage to the heart of it. Look at this. I want to show this to you. This is what Deuteronomy chapter 8, 1 through 3 says. The whole commandment that I command you today is the word of the Lord to the Israelites. He says, you shall be careful to do. In other words, consider what I'm saying. It's almost like the Lord himself is speaking. Wow. That's exactly it. Jesus says, focus everyone. He says, no, the Lord's saying this to Israel. The whole commandment that I command you today, you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go and possess the land that the Lord swore to give your fathers. Jesus was there to do that, to possess that inheritance, right? To do what the Lord has commanded of him to do. Verse two, and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness. Wow. One day for each year here that Jesus is experiencing, that he might humble you. Not that you would show your glory and your might and your ability to transform stones into loaves. No, that he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. Jesus here would keep his commandments. That is of utmost importance, not food. It is the the fact that he would worship the Lord and be obedient and humble to his word. Jesus is understanding exactly what's going on here. Look at verse three. And he humbled you and let you hunger. He let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor your fathers knew. They didn't know this, that he may make you know that, read this with me out loud. Man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Wow. What an answer. In context, does that make sense? That's a mic drop answer right there. And Jesus is able to overcome this temptation because he focuses, he fixes his eyes on the promises of the Lord. Jesus trusted the all-satisfying and all-sufficient goodness of God. All of a sudden, this is not important. Loaves, that's not what I need. Give me Jesus. Give me God. Give me his word. This was a testing of the heart, and Christ's heart is absolutely for the glory of God. Solidea Gloria. It was just for him alone. I am not going to do what you ask me to do, Satan. And likewise, the same kind of testing accompanies every temptation in our lives. That's what they do. This is why the Lord allows temptations in our life. We have desires that are generally good and God-given. We have desires like for food. Yes, I like food. Do you like food? We have desires for water or a diet Pepsi, or Coke, or whatever it is that you do. Those are not necessarily wrong. We have desires for sleep, for relationship. We have desire for uh, for companionship, etc. These are not necessarily bad. 
However, this is the place where Satan works at the level of our wants. This is where he's going to try to get us. So you desire food, guess what? He's going to tempt you to, towards undisciplined eating. And so now food becomes actually a bad thing for you. You desire sleep. He's going to tempt you towards laziness or a lack of concern for what's important. Oh, I'm just tired. I'm not going to do what I need to do. You desire intimate relationship. He's going to tempt you towards sins. Lots of them like lust, pornography, adultery, homosexuality, you name it. There's a long list there. But all you do is desire some kind of relationship. So he's going to take what is good and distort it and thwart it so that you fall into sin and you're not living according to the will of God. So at the core of all of this, it is a desire for self-gratification. Give me what I want now. That's how it fits with us. God is not providing for me in the way that I want, so I'll take it myself. That's the temptation of self-gratification. Do you see that? Now let's take a look at the next one, the temptation for self-protection. I'll be a little bit shorter on this one. Verse 5, Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on a pinnacle of the temple and said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. Notice something here. It's like, oh, you respond with scripture. I will also give you a scriptural reference. I will also respond with the word of God if this is what you live, one, uh, live by. Now, this is not very easy to understand, I would say, at first value. Like, why would you be tempted to jump off of a building? Do you, do you see that? This is where kind of we have a disconnect. And so anybody here tempted to jump off a building? I don't think so. I hope not, you know. But, but Jesus is tempted to do this. He's taken to the top of the temple in Jerusalem And note this, this is very important for us to know. Did you know that the temple of Jerusalem is a symbol of the presence and the protection of God over his people? That's what that symbolized. The temple was that. When you looked at the temple, you thought God is with us and he's for us. And so he takes them to this place to tempt them, to test them, if you would, to see whether or not God was truly present with Jesus and he was willing to protect them. After all, Jesus came to do something difficult, something that would cost him, something that would really pain him. Why don't you look for an insurance policy and make sure that God is with you? How often have we done that? How often do we actually wonder, God, are you actually with me? Are you, are you protecting me? Are you providing for me? You know, Jesus had come to the world to do something so dangerous. And how about this insurance policy? It actually sounded good to him in the moment. And so again, Satan uses scripture to try to justify this action. And look at what he uses. He quotes from Psalm 91. If you've read this one, if you're familiar with it, this is a psalm of protection. Satan is tempting the Lord to see whether or not the Lord is actually protecting him. He's out there in the wilderness. He's all by himself. And his promises that angels will save him. You know, test him is essentially what he's saying. But here's the problem is he misuses scripture. And this is so problematic. And so let me say this to all of us. Far be it from us that we use the word of God out of context to justify our sin. Because we can do that. We can take a passage like it and manipulate it to justify what is very wrong for us to do. For we are tempted to twist the word of God around our personal preferences. 
We must know what it actually says and in context so that we can overcome these temptations because we're often tempted to question his plans for us, aren't we? When they don't go the way that we want them to go, we ask him, come on, God, what's going on? What's the problem here? We're tempted to question his love for us when something goes wrong. Like, God, are you even caring about me right now? Do you even realize what I'm going through? We're tempted to ask for signs to see whether or not he's still with us, even though his faithfulness has been shown to us time and time again. It's like we're forgetful people and we're constantly wanting to know if he's with us because we feel like maybe he doesn't understand us. And essentially what he's saying is complain. Ask God, are you with me or not? Are you actually present in my life? And although this was tempting to Jesus, and it really was, you consider his life, his plan, this was actually tempting to Jesus. Verse 7 says, Jesus said to him, again, it is written, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Deuteronomy 6.16. Oh, Jesus knew the word, perhaps because he is the word. Amen? Jesus recalled the day when the Israelites felt that they should test him. They were out in the wilderness by themselves, and they realized, wait a minute. Moses just led us out of Egypt. Here we are in the desert. How are we going to drink? How are we going to eat? Ask the Lord to give us water. We need to find out right now that he's with us. And this is where Jesus remembers and he says, no, 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 no. That was wrong for them to do. Don't you realize that God is with you and he's for you and he's already shown you wonders. He's delivered you from Egypt. You crossed the Red Sea and now you're asking if he's with you? Here's the point. The message is here. It's don't worry. If you're going through a moment where you feel like you need a little bit of an insurance policy, don't worry. God is actually for you. He's with you. He's with you every step of the way. Everything is part of the journey. There's no reason to take matters into your own hands and to seek that insurance policy. He really is who he says he is. He really is trustworthy. He's shown it over and over. He's got you. Trust him. That's the point. And then finally, the third temptation, the temptation of self-exaltation. Oh, watch out for this one. This is to, to be more than we ought to be, right? Pride kicks in here. Verse 8, again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Now, this was such a great temptation for Jesus. Let me show you why. First, Jesus already knew that all these kingdoms would be his. He's the king of the world. Right? He knew that he would come and be the ransom for many. He knew that he would reign over these people. However, this wouldn't happen before him actually walking the road of suffering, of sorrow, of pain, and ultimately death on a cross. For him to be able to conquer and to redeem his people, he would have to go and die. And so what essentially Satan is saying is, hey, you don't need to do that. Why don't you just worship me now and you can just cut to the chase? That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? To be able to have the outcome that we want without having to go through the work. We're tempted by that very often, wouldn't you say? And so this is the temptation that Saint presents Jesus. He's saying, come on, you're a deity. You're the son, aren't you? You're a person of power. Why be a servant? Just take it now. You're a king, aren't you? Why be crucified? Be glorified now. Oh, now it's making sense. Now that temptation makes sense. In other words, forget hardship. Forget hard work. Get the fast. Get on the fast lane. You know, it's easy and it's fast the way to achieve the successes, the accomplishments, the pleasures, the statuses, the popularity. We want that, don't we? We want to be recognized. And the possessions of this world, the, the, the stuff that it has to offer, don't we want it now? 
I don't want a payment plan. Just give it to me. I mean, I'm going to take the payment plan, right? If I get it now, that's what I want. I don't want to wait and save for it. I'm going to do the payment plan. Like, get it now. He says, do it now. That's how Satan works. He pressures you to do it now. Verse 10, then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan. (laughs) For it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Glory to God. In other words, I will not rob God of his worship and honor. It is not about me. It's all about him. If this is what he wants for my life, so be it. I will submit to this. This is how we overcome temptation. We must know Christ. We must know his word. We must know the will of God for our lives that we will not trip over and over again because even what's good can be tempted for evil. Okay, so we, not, we must know this. Know Jesus, know his word, and believe it. Adopt it. Store it in your heart. Look at what Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. It's kind of faulty. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make straight your paths. <laughs> I believe that Matthew includes this portion of scripture that we may see that Jesus truly is the Christ, the King of kings and Lord of lords. He cannot be overcome by sin or, the, or Satan. They are not equals. Satan is far inferior than Jesus, far, not even compares. But he was tempted, and he was led to temptation The same reason that he was baptized to fulfill all righteousness. Through this passage here, we see that he identifies with us. He gets it. He gets temptation. He gets the way that you're enticed. He's experienced it. He sympathizes with you. He identifies with you. He set an example for us. Now we know that we can overcome that temptation. In fact, let me take you back to that passage in 1 Corinthians. What was it? 1 Corinthians... 10, 13, thank you so much. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation that he will also provide the way of escape, that you may be able to endure it. Jesus is just showing us how to do that. That's the whole point. That's the reason why he was doing this. He actually walked into this. And finally, he also paints a beautiful picture of salvation. Check this out. We can't save ourselves. Don't try that. We can't save ourselves. It's not up to us to save ourselves. We can't do that. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. That's what the Bible tells us. But look at this beautiful picture of salvation. I'm going to turn my page to verse 11. Then the devil left him, ha, saved. And behold, angels came and were ministering to him. God shows up big. I'm reminded of Elijah. Elijah was in the wilderness, and an angel came and ministered to him. He actually made him bread. He made him food. It could be that the Lord ate at this moment. It could be. I'll tell you what. He had his needs met. Angels came and they ministered to Jesus Christ. I imagine him being in the corner with a nice back rub, you know, this back rub. You feel like, a, you, yeah, you, you showed him. Mm, that was awesome, you know. He's like, yeah, that was good, you know. This is my imagination, by the way, all right? But they're ministering to him. They're really just meeting his needs. He is experiencing something beautiful, passed with flying colors. This is what we need. 
This is how we need to be able to endure temptation. Thank you, Lord, for this beautiful example. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this portion of Scripture. Lord, help us retain this instruction that when we face temptation, not if, but when we face temptation, we would look to you and trust you and know that you've got this and that you're for us and that you will see us through and that you minister to us, Lord Jesus. And likewise, help us be ministers to others who are currently going through temptation or who have fallen to temptation and they need redemption, Lord Jesus. We ask that you would be the Savior, Father. Thank you for your word. And this time together, we can come before you and grow. In Jesus' mighty name we pray, amen.